This is Brown's Digest. What's going on, Dog Pound? Hope you guys are hungry. We are back for episode five of the Brown's Digest podcast. I'm your host, Sean Stevenson, along with Pete Smith. Pete, how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It is a great week for all Browns fans. Many of you probably already know the Browns have signed Jadavian Clowney, uh, something that's been talked about through free agency for pretty much... You know, the last two years, obviously, I didn't get a deal done last year. And then over the past few weeks, the steam really started to pick up with Jadavian Clowney. And um, he had an initial visit with the team. And then also he had a second visit earlier this week, including a physical, which eventually led to him being signed, which is a great thing to see, especially considering that the Browns needed an answer at that defensive end two position. So that's something we'll talk about in this week's episode as well as the Baltimore Ravens and their free agency, some of their draft needs, uh, what you can look forward to in terms of how they will shape their roster in the coming weeks. So as we look at the Jadavian Clowney uh, contract, Pete, what are your thoughts and uh, what are your expectations of Clowney this season? What do I expect? Uh, I mean, he he needs to be a disruptive player and he needs to protect the second level. If he can do those two things, He's going to be extremely successful. Uh, The biggest thing is uh, being able to protect that second level. If they're going to play smaller on defense with more DBs, it becomes critical that he can take up blockers and protect that second level from from being blocked, particularly in the run game. Um, He's more than capable of that. He's he's an excellent run defender. Um, Pass rush-wise, he fits what they want. He gives them some options in terms of the fact that he can line up inside or outside, he can stunt. He can do some things that uh, allow the Browns to be really creative up front in a way that Olivier Vernon could do, but not to the same extent. Um, he, you know, he was a true end. So he's really good at that. But uh, with Clowney, you can potentially put him inside. You could put Tech McKinley uh, on the edge uh, in that sort of you know, NASCAR type look. Uh, or put Miles Garrett on the same side as him. Um, he's going to collapse the pocket. He's going to do some of those things that are really helpful, particularly against the quarterbacks who can create and extend with their legs. So, from that standpoint, uh, it's it's a really good move. Uh, I, I caution people who expect um, him to sort of be a superstar. He's a good player. Maybe at times can be a great player, but. Um, I, I, I hope people don't do it. What happened with, with, uh, Vernon, where they're just basically looking at one number to define him. And that was sacks. And it wasn't until, uh, Vernon got, you know, nine, basically in the second half of this last year, where you sort of really appreciated when he was exceptionally good, as long as he was healthy long before that. Yeah. I'm not expecting gaudy numbers from Clowney this season, but for me, the biggest, benefit of signing him now one before the draft which I kind of harped on uh, is just because it provides you more clarity now you have a full window of what you can do at that 26 pick whether that is drafting an edge for the future since he only did sign a one-year deal or say if a receiver falls you can uh, take a receiver and give yourself some depth for 2022 potentially um And also, it gives you the flexibility as well to either move up. So say if a player that's high on your board falls further than many expect or that you may expect, you can move up. And they have plenty of ammunition. They do have nine picks. So that's definitely something that uh, should be in their wheelhouse of things to do. And then, of course, uh, if there there is any trade, uh, I believe most likely it would be a trade back from that 26 pick. And then you can get additional assets uh, for next year as well. But for me, I like the flexibility 
that Andrew Barry continues to maintain in essentially all of his free agent signings. You look at the fact that he's able to have Malik Jackson, Troy Hill, Jadavian Clowney, all these players at reasonable cap hits, and he's not over committing himself to them while building up the depth and overall talent on the Browns defense. We look at his contract. Um, he has an $8 million base salary, only $7 million is guaranteed, and then they spread out some money over four void years. Um, and then his cap hit for this year is only going to be $3.8 million, and then he's going to have a dead cap of $3.6 million next year. And then also, of course, one of the biggest things when it came to money, um, I always believed that the minimum salary that he was going to take was going to be somewhere in the double-digit millions, and they kind of made that happen by giving um, two $1 million incentives, both with uh, snaps and then, of course, sacks. So we're just looking at the sack incentive. Do you think it's going to be over or under seven sacks that he would need to get in order to get that additional money? It's a good question. I, I, I would think it'd be over that, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I have to imagine it's over. Uh, I, the, I can't see where they'd be like, yeah, get five. Um, considering the position he's playing, you know, contractually it's right around the number Carlos Dunlap got, which is kind of what I figured would be um, the fact that he's sort of breaking it up over the two years uh, is, is helpful. I mean, there's, there's some accounting tricks with this uh, that sort of allow the Browns to sort of make money if they do it right. Uh, but I don't view it as some sort of like, great deal or some huge value. I think he got basically what he's worth. Um, and, and we'll see if, if he stays healthy, I, I fully expect he will, uh, you know, meet, meet the mark and sort of give you that much. Um, you know, if he gives you more than that, great. But uh, obviously the concern is that, you know, he, he just is unable, unable to avoid injury and, and misses games, which obviously is something that we had to deal with. Uh, through Olivier Vernon. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just, it's, it's great in that, you know, the Browns are, have sort of allowed themselves flexibility in terms of their, their cap. They found ways to sort of navigate around it and they're going to pay off next year. Uh, hopefully they're going to have enough rollover cap to sort of cover that. But uh, I think, you know, it's not like John Johnson's deal where you're like, wow, that's, you know, that's a steal. I think, Jadevian Clowney is pretty much right where you'd expect him to be. It's just um, because you, you look at Clowney's contract like last year, where he's making $13 million and he didn't earn much of any of it uh, and didn't have very many nice things to say about the Titans either uh, in his press conference, which I found sort of interesting. He was just sort of jabbing them a little bit. Um, so, I, I, you know, it's, it's not a, Great deal. It's just a, a nice, solid deal. They, they, uh, Andrew Barry, to his credit, hasn't really overpaid anyone too much, but the guys he's broken, the guys he's sort of signed to one-year deals, he's paid a little bit more. I think it's so they can pull off the sort of void year stuff. So speaking of the void years, uh, you did have an article that came out today that was talking about that, and we talked about it a little bit in last week's episode do you want to kind of go into your thoughts about the void year? Because it's definitely something that we're starting to see a trend with a lot of franchises in the NFL that they're taking advantage of these void years in order to have, I would say, the best roster possible. And given that, you know, there's this COVID situation where the salary cap is reduced, um, it probably won't jump too much next year either. And they're really trying to maneuver the cap as much as possible so that that way you can you know, keep a lot of your talent together when you look at the Buccaneers, how they are able to keep pretty much all 22 of their starters intact from that Super Bowl run. And then um, obviously with signing free agents, some teams are able to minimize the cap hit that they have this year um, in order to sign some players to one-year deals, similar to what Andrew Barry did with Clowney. As far as I know, this is the first year the NFL has ever done this. Uh, and I don't know if the Saints invented it, but uh, they're sort of the model franchise in terms of how it, it, it works and how it's going to probably hurt them quite a bit next year. In essence, all they're doing and all the Browns are doing and some of these other teams is they're just borrowing uh, from future earnings, you know, from, from future years in terms of the salary cap. So 
all they're doing is they're taking a signing bonus, which is prorated over the length of any deal. So if we say it's a $10 million signing bonus and they add four void years, which makes it a five-year deal, four is the limit on how many you know years you can sort of do this. Uh, and let's, you, you, so you've got a five-year deal and four of those deals are going to be void years where, you know, after that first year, there's going to be a point where the contract is, is going to end and the player's no longer going to be on the team. Nevertheless, but because it's a signing bonus and it's prorated over those five years, that makes it $2 million over each of those five years. So you're going to pay $2 million that first year. And then that next year when it voids, you're going to pay eight um, because all those, you know, all the, all that money is going to pile up in that, that next year by virtue of how bonus money works when you, when you cut a contract. So with the $182.5 million salary cap, you can take, you know, $10 million over two years and sort of borrow it this year. Now, if you're the saints, you're doing this because you don't want to lose these players, but it's going to come uh, hit you next year because you're now obviously going to pay all that. Uh, and you don't have any rollover cap. Um, so you can't just pay it off with that. So you're actually going to lose money for next year. Uh, it may ultimately not be as much as the cap goes up. So they're effectively working with the same amount of money, but they're going to lose money uh, overall. The Browns are, are where you can potentially take advantage. Um, we'll see what else they do, but right now they've got a little over $10 million in cap space and they have not had a draft or assigned rookie uh, money or any of that. But if they just roll it over right now at just, let's say 10 million, they roll it over you're going to get another $10 million of rollover cap for next year. So into next year, you're going to have an extra $10 million uh, plus whatever the, you know, the, the, the cap goes up. So the Browns owe about $6.6 million to, to voided years um, to Jadevian Clowney, Anthony Walker, and to Malik uh, Jackson. So, if you roll it over that $10 million and you have to pay out 6.6, you still have $3.4 million of money that you can spend on whatever. And on some level, you're sitting there going, well, why didn't they just pay that off? Now the money, the math works the same way. That's true, but obviously it allows you to pay, you, you, to extend your salary cap larger than, than what you otherwise be paying. And the other part of this is, when you roll over that cap, you now have what is called the adjusted cap space, which is the rollover cap uh, plus your normal base cap. So let's, again, using that $182.5 million base salary cap, when we don't add in any new cap, then the Browns would be working with $192.5 million. And they'd pay, obviously, the $6.6 million. But the $192.5 million is actually a worthwhile figure for them because now they're working on a larger budget. And the Browns have been doing this for years in terms of using rollover cap to give them more room to operate. So if the Browns do this properly, and I fully expect they will, then at some point they're going to catch up with this uh, probably sooner than later. And then they're going to have like an extra little balloon of money they're going to have access to by virtue of the. Uh, fact that they're essentially paying off the credit card and the cap goes up, that they're going to get a little bit of a boost. And I think all th that could give the Browns one or two more years in their window, potentially. I could be wrong on, on, on just how much flexibility it gives them, but ultimately in some ways it's like a weird way of building credit just because the NFL hands everybody new more credit every year that you're going to essentially make money. So even though you're sort of borrowing against it and sounds like, oh man, we don't want to do that because we're essentially paying money from next year to fund this year. If the Browns do it properly there, it's actually not going to impact them at all. And eventually could give them a little bit of a, an extra little bonus to help them sign players. Yeah. The rollover cap has been very beneficial for the Browns over the past few seasons. And you know, what's, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of credit. I mean, looking at Andrew Barry, he definitely seems like a guy that's at least in the seven hundreds. Um, you know, they're definitely in a much better situation than New Orleans Saints. I mean, if they apply for a credit card today and they're probably not going to get approved. Uh, they're like at 500 credit score right now based off of what their uh, contracts are looking like. But the decisions of last year are really starting to 
have benefits. When you look at the fact that there wasn't an overcommitment to the defense. Uh, you look at the safety room last year with Carl Joseph, Andrew Sandejo, um, a lot of players that were in the secondary for the most part were either on one-year deals or expiring contracts, you know, outside of Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. But that money where you don't hand out those big contracts and you don't use all of the available salary cap, like you say, you get to use that rollover money. And the more often you can have that rollover cap, that helps you in situations like giving Baker Mayfield his contract in terms of what do I have to pay for this first year, you know, including signing bonuses and things like that if you need to bring in other free agents. And then also, too, something that I feel like isn't talked about a lot is the ability to minimize dead cap and not allowing it to negatively affect you. Um, you know, obviously there are situations where you could sign a player and, you know, it just doesn't work out. Uh, you either got to cut ties soon. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe you trade that player, you know, because it just doesn't fit anymore or whatever the situation may be. But, you know, dead cap can actually be very negative to some teams. Uh, and since we're talking about the Baltimore Ravens in this episode, they're losing $10 million this year in salary cap alone just to Earl Thomas, who hasn't been with the team for the last two seasons. So just something like that can definitely um, force you to be a little bit more um, constricted with your freedom to allocate your cap in the way that's beneficial for your team in order to sign free agents. Or sometimes there could be a situation where there's a player you really want to retain, but you have to make either a cap casualty at one position or you just can't sign him because of the other offers he has on the table from other franchises is too much compared to what you're able to do. But of course, you know, some teams are able to void some money, like you had said, to later years. But if you don't have enough rollover cap or, you know, the players that you've signed or players that are coming off expiring contracts doesn't match up, the more you do that and you compound it, Later down the line, you could find yourself in a sticky situation. And, you know, the Browns, thankfully, aren't in that predicament where, you know, two, three years from now, they've signed a ton of players. They've put voided money everywhere and it could potentially be an issue. But, you know, you probably won't really start having those conversations until a couple of years when you start looking at Austin Hooper's contract or Jack Conklin, uh, you know, two players that were signed last free agency. They have some void years um, in their deal, along with John Johnson as well. So as long as we can continue to or the Browns can continue to have that flexibility and understanding where this money going to be allocated and kind of placing it around the time frame of what some players need to be extended and you don't overextend yourself, then I think there will be OK. So looking at the Baltimore Ravens and their free agency, um. I would say their situation was there was a good amount of subtraction, namely on their defensive line, but they also did a good job of improving the interior of their offensive line with the signing of Kevin Zeitler. Uh, so before I go into any specifics about the players, what are your thoughts about their free agency and where do you see them performing this season? Uh, I think the off season, the Ravens have, have showed you who they are, which is they prioritize their secondary, their secondary, you know, sort of does everything for their defense. They want to blitz. Uh, they want to be able to cover well enough to do whatever they want in, in Wink Martindale's defensive scheme. And by letting both of their main pass rushers walk, that says to me that they're confident enough that the way they operate their secondary, they can find guys who can, who can create pressure. So that's a big deal because, you know, the, Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe are gone and, you know, they've, they've kept Tyus Bowser. They've kept uh, some of these other guys that haven't really done much, uh, but they're hoping that because they can cover so well, that they'll just overwhelm people with their blitzing. Uh, and then they, they did the same thing on the other side. So um, when they were, dominant and they had the greatest rushing attack in NFL history. So much of that was their ability to operate and dominate up front, losing what is going to be a hall of famer, Marshall Yonda 
was a big problem for them. And, and getting Kevin Zeitler is, is an upgrade, even if he's not, you know, peak Kevin Zeitler, he's a good football player and a guy who can get a push, which is what they need. I mean, that the offense they run sort of demands, you know, that, that group, you just physically able to move people off the ball. And when they can't do that, they run into a lot of problems and they may not be done obviously because Orlando Brown jr. Would like to be traded. Uh, and the Ravens are sort of in this spot because, you know, they, they, they have more cap room now uh, than they had. Uh, so they do have some play money w- w- with the sort of at their disposal, but uh, you know, Orlando Brown jr. Is basically their cheapest, best player they have right now. Uh, he makes, he's going to make like, a million dollars this year, a little bit over that. So if he leaves and they have to replace him, obviously they're going to likely have to pay more, even if it's a first round pick or whatever. Uh, so that's a challenge for them. And then the, the, the problem that they have run into, and, it, and the question is, is it a temporary problem? It is, is it simply a problem optics or is it a real big problem? That's going to sort of dog them for a while, which is the, free, you know, John Harbaugh made a big deal at the beginning of free free agency and the off season talking about how, you know, reporters were asking him about Lamar Jackson and stuff. And they basically, he basically said that we're not going to beg receivers to come play for us. Well, here we are a couple of months later, they tried to get Juju Smith Schuster. He essentially said no uh, and, and went back to the Steelers. He, he also turned down uh, money from, from the chiefs. And we talked about this on the episode with the Steelers, but then he came out and basically said, look, I, you know, I, you know, they run the ball a ton and and they throw the ball a lot to the tight end, you know, so that's an, that right there is, is the optical problem that players at least feel like that's a thing. And they ran into the same problem with T Y Hilton. They tried to get T Y Hilton, T Y Hilton allegedly took less money to go back to the Colts. So then they end up with Sammy Watkins, who's not good um, and has not been good for years. He's, he's been steadily declining. So on paper, if you squint, you know, it looks okay. I think Marquise Brown is a player. I think he's, he's actually really coming to his own and Mark Andrews is obviously a really good player, but uh, if Lamar Jackson doesn't sort of take that next step uh, and they extend him, which they may do this, you know, in, in the summer, then they have a real problem in terms of what are they going to sort of do with that position? And now do they feel like they, have to invest highly in the draft to try to get their own as they did with Marquise Brown, or can they sort of get him, you know, a more balanced approach? I mean, on some level there, you know, that, that offense is going to run the ball. It's, it's good at, and it's tough to defend, but if Lamar Jackson becomes a, a, a better, more consistent passer, then he's virtually indefensible. And that's a real challenge. So if he makes that big landmark leap, into being a more consistent passer than, than, you know, their problems are basically soft. If not, then we, then we continue to follow this. So if you're trying to ask me where the Ravens are, I think they're going to be worse than last year. I, I, I don't, it's hard to say how much worse, but I think they're going to run into some real challenges this year. They have lost guys and the draft, they do have some draft assets, uh, you know, that they got because they always have compensatory picks. Uh, but they're, they're, they're going to be asking a lot from the guys they picked this year to come in and, and play early and make an impact if they're going to try to um, win the division. Now they may, you know, walk into a wild card spot just by virtue of like the Steelers falling off a cliff. But I, I think they're going to have some stretches of this season where, where it's a real struggle for them and it may be scratching and clawing. The, the fact that there's a seventh playoff spot, obviously is a huge help for them, but I think it's going to be tough and they may be a team that goes into the playoffs. And again, it becomes about Lamar Jackson in the playoffs that they go in, uh, go out with a whimper. And and it's another conversation about where do the Ravens go from here? Yeah. So looking at the uh, key losses they had in free agency, as you already noted, they lost uh, both edge players in Matt Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. Judon signing with the Patriots for four years, $54.5 million, and Ngakwe going to the Las Vegas Raiders for two years at $26 million. Overall, their defense is going to be missing a significant edge rusher, and I definitely believe that's going to impact 
what they want to do in the draft. Um, I believe they're at 27, if I remember correctly. Um, with them, they really need to figure out a way how to generate some pressure at the defensive line. Uh, now, I know they're one of the, or not one of the, they are the highest blitzing teams, uh, defenses in the league based off their blitz rate. Uh, last season, they blitzed 44% of the time. So that just shows that their scheme is really utilized based off of their defensive backs. You know, rather be a safety, uh, uh, Chuck Clark blitzes from the edge. Uh, they'll use Jimmy Smith from the slot uh, for him to blitz as well. Their linebackers, uh, obviously they have uh, Patrick, McQu uh, Patrick Queen, who's a very athletic linebacker that they could use uh, in order to blitz from the interior. And when you look at the defensive line as well, uh, Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf, Brandon Williams, those guys are very large. Um, so they're not necessarily the ones you're going to be expecting to get tons of QB pressure, but based off of them running a 3-4 defense, they're going to be more, you know, preventing rushing lanes from being opened up and collapsing the pocket um, from the interior to allow those edge rushers to, to get out um, on the edge. And also when you look at the receiving group, I'm not very confident in the receiving group. One, just because it hasn't provided a lot of production. And obviously that does come down to Lamar Jackson and his ability to deliver the ball. But as well, like you stated, John Harbaugh understands that their offense is going to find the most success by running the ball, utilizing Lamar Jackson's leg. He's going to still be in the top uh, percentile of rushing yards. Obviously, he's probably going to lead the quarterbacks again. Um, he's going to going to have more rushing yards than some running backs on, on other teams in NFL just because they've catered that offense to them. But two things that's really going to play a huge factor in Lamar Jackson, his ability to get a contract extension. Uh, and of course, it's going to happen. Um, he's going to get top money. He's already won an MVP. So there's no way he's not going to get a contract extension. And if you're the Ravens, you want to do that sooner rather than later, uh, especially with Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield in line for contracts as well. You... You can't completely rely on Lamar Jackson's ability to make plays with his legs for the entirety of, of his career because that's going to shorten the window and the longevity of his career at the end of the day. Uh, when you look at Michael Vick, you know, he talked about it in interviews of being a mobile quarterback. After a while, once you start getting hit, you know, your body starts to break down and you don't want to get hit anymore. And that's going to really come down to Lamar Jackson's ability to throw the ball consistently from in the pocket, being able to attack the seams. And also, in order for him to improve as a passer, you want receivers that can create constant separation and make plays. Um, they lost Willie Sneed. You know, obviously, he's just a deaf guy, but he was someone with size that had speed that could stretch the field vertically. He signed with the Raiders. They also lose Chris Moore and Mark Ingram to uh, the Texans. Now, Mark Ingram, obviously, uh, he kind of fell out of favor in that running back rotation behind Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins. But you're, you're not getting a lot from Sammy Watkins. Uh, Marquise Brown, yes, he has really good speed. He can run routes, but he's not the biggest guy. And... A lot of times when you see these passes from Lamar Jackson, you know, they're either contested throws. Um, you don't really see a lot of consistency in terms of his tight window throws. And I mean, just even a good example is week one of last season where Mark Andrews is wide open in the back of the end zone. And if Mark Andrews doesn't make that miraculous one handed catch, you know, he misses a wide open target and you don't have a touchdown. Just things like that where just his mechanics and the size of the receivers he has isn't doing him any favors. Yeah. He, they, they, he, uh, he goes through stretches where he can't hit the broad side of a barn and then he will throw a, an absolute dagger type throw that goes absolutely perfectly indefensible right to the spot. And he just breaks your heart. Uh, if you, you know, if you're the defense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. You, you look, you look at Cam Newton's body, you mentioned Michael Vick, 
you know, if he sprains his ankle, he'll, you know, he's probably a you know, lower ankle sprain. He's probably playing through it, except that that sort of now allows you to get caught a little bit more. And then you take that one big shot and something gets hurt. And, you know, if you blot a knee or something like that, then you obviously lose a season, but you're sort of trying to get back to something you can't really get to, which is, uh, which is why that, that, that sort of concept is always terrifying to me that, yes, you want quarterbacks who can, who can move and, and create and expand plays, but you don't want to uh, rely on it for this, you know, a, a in eight to 10 year career. Um, it's, you know, in high school and college, it's three and four. So it's not like a huge, huge investment. You can sort of like you move on. Uh, it's tougher in the NFL. And so they need him to take that next step. And, and I think they were trying last year for the first half of the season and, and when it wasn't working and the playoff picture was starting to get a little dim, they all of a sudden went back to what they were accustomed to uh, running with him. And that's how they sort of, you know, got into the playoffs, but obviously uh, fell short uh, against the uh, Buffalo bills. So they, they have to find ways to get just him to be more efficient across the board and uh, certainly getting him better weapons is, is a big part of that, but everything they have just needs, needs to get better. Uh, you know, I think there are things you can criticize about uh, what their offense does in terms of the fact that some of their formations and, and the way they set things up can look too familiar and there are only so many things you can do. Uh, so it can sort of give a little bit of a heads up to the defense, but at the same time, as much as people want to criticize that and say, well, you know, he, that's the problem. It also obviously set the league record for uh, rushing yards in the season and, and Lamar Jackson walked away with an MVP for it. So maybe there's a, a limited lifespan with that. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it got the, the 49ers and Colin Kaepernick to the Super Bowl and Lamar Jackson and MVP. So clearly something works with it. And it's a question of, can they sort of take it to that next level? Um, you know, Kaepernick, we didn't get that far for various reasons. Uh, and it's now it's a question. Can we, can we do that? And Greg Roman sort of help him take that next step as a, as a passer to really sort of let this thing, uh, take off in a way that sort of protects Lamar Jackson while always giving teams something to think about in terms of what he can do with his legs. Yeah. And if he's able to improve as a passer, that gives you a little bit more flexibility in the type of formations that you can run. Obviously, when you have a mobile quarterback, they benefit a lot from pistol formations, basically where you're in a shotgun, but you're still able to have your running back line up behind the quarterback. And for me, the defense's or let me just say this, the NFL defensive coordinators have a very keen ability of figuring out how to, and I don't want to say stop, contain for the most part, players with their legs. Obviously, you know, Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson, these are players with unique talents and athletic ability, you know, which just comes natural to them. And it's going to be almost impossible to completely stop these kind of players. Yes, you can try to keep Lamar Jackson in the pocket and force him to make plays with his arm, but eventually at some point, he's going to escape the pocket and he's going to burn you with his legs because he's, he's done it day in and day out. But these heavy pistol formations where you have a fullback and a tight end or two tight ends in the backfield or two running backs, whatever they decide to do, you're going to be limited in some portions of how much production you can get through the air because you just don't have enough people, you know, running vertically to stretch the field and to put more pressure on the defense. And if you have situations where, yes, he's improving on his long ball, but if if you're having a lot of these, you know, check downs or short underneath routes where he's getting some completions and then he'll maybe have like one or two plays in the intermediate parts of the field and you have these long sustained drives of, 10, 11, 12 plays, that gets very difficult to sustain over the whole period of a full now 17-game season. Yes, they still have uh, arguably 
the greatest kicker in the NFL in NFL history. I think he'll go down in the Hall of Fame. And Justin Tucker, um, but in close games, a field goal in a in seven points can really make the difference between you winning and losing some games. And if you can't get big plays down the field, it it gets very frustrating with the offense. You know, there's been times where we've seen a lot of these teams run these West Coast offenses, which is really based on, you know, three-step, maybe a five-step drop and getting the ball out. And really, it's anticipation. You don't see that a lot from Lamar Jackson. So they really have to allow his mobility to be the essence of how the offense is set up and that run game. So if you take a situation where they're not having a lot of success running the ball, you know, it could just be maybe one of those games or the defensive coordinator going up against that week just had a really good game plan in order to limit their run. Can you really sit there and say, I trust Lamar Jackson to go out and win me this game if he has to throw 35 to 40 times if they're not playing with a lead? I would say not at this point, and the, that's where the playoffs become evidence of the problem. Uh, but some part of the problem is you. some of these defenses are geared to not necessarily stop teams, but to just slow them down enough to where they can get a stop or hold them to a field goal eventually. And so, you know, the Ravens running 13 plays – and having all that time of possession, certainly it can be an advantage, but it can also sort of play into what some of these defenses are doing anyway. You just sort of outlast them, um, which, you know, is how the Browns beat them, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, two seasons ago. They, they didn't necessarily, I mean, they, 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 were, they, they were able to get stops and force uh, Lamar Jackson to pass, but on some level they were just sort of letting them tire themselves out in some ways and just make sure, you know, you, you get, let's say you get four sets of downs on, on one of these long possessions. They only got to stop you once theoretically. So there, there's that part that, and I think this is true of the Browns offense too. Um, when you don't have the ability to sort of create those big plays through the passing game like that, that uh, you're, you're in some ways doing the defense a favor. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be tough for them to really reach that pinnacle of where they're at when Lamar had that MVP season, just because I believe defensive coordinators will figure out more ways to attack their offense rather than be reactive. And I kind of think that's the basis of how the Browns kind of played them two years ago. Obviously, Nick Chubb had an astounding game um, running the football, but if you can figure out ways to be a little bit more aggressive against, you know, that read option or just being able to limit somewhat of what Lamar Jackson does with his legs, that puts you in a more advantageous position of not allowing them to have free reign with their playbook because now they have to tone down on the run, which is really the main basis of their offensive production and now having Lamar Jackson throw the ball more. And I still think that, the evolution of defenses and their ability to cover like read options. When you look at the 49ers and the Ravens in the Super Bowl, it was always kind of that. Let's just watch the quarterback and worst case scenario. If the running back keeps the ball and he turns along for, you know, four or five yards, that's something we can live with because I would much rather take the running back, you know, having three, four or five yards of carry here and there, Versus that one time that the quarterback keeps it and now he's running down the field for 30 yards. And we've seen that pretty much almost every season since Lamar Jackson's been a full-time starter. Sure. I mean, he'll, he'll at some point he's going to break one. That's, I mean, it's, it's just, that's how special of an athlete he is, but, uh, and that's ultimately what beat the Browns, uh, you know, last year in that, that Monday night game. Um, but uh, when, when you can play team defense and the way the Browns are sort of trying to build their defense, they're going to be smaller and faster, which is really what's good about uh, defending Lamar Jackson. You want to be sound assignment football and, and, and just be able to sort of take your gaps and, and do it that way. And the Bills were able to sort of dominate 
because their corners were good enough to sort of eliminate the receivers on the outside. And then their, their safeties were essentially able to, you know, keep an eye on Lamar Jackson, nobody's spying or anything, but just being able to sort of an eye, eye inside there to sort of be able to come up and take away those running lanes. And between those two things, you know, you've got nine defenders potentially able to come up and fill those gaps. Lamar Jackson had nowhere to go and nowhere to throw. So, you know, that's really the blueprint and people get caught up and, well, you need linebackers to do this. You really don't because the, the chargers did this without any, um, they, they just were able to uh, take away holes and not, not get gashed while being able to defend their receivers effectively. And that's the essence of how to beat uh, the Ravens. Now, you know, there aren't, not every team is, is built to be able to do that. So in the regular season, they can sort of run roughshod over some of these teams, including the Browns last year. The Browns have what we hope is sort of eliminated the turds on their defense and are going to have a, a you know, a group without sort of obvious hole. And that's where it's really going to be difficult for Lamar Jackson to consistently defeat them. Yeah. I think that next year, the performance of the Browns defense, namely in the division, is going to really make the biggest difference in where the Browns fall in the standings. You can't be in a situation where you lose to the Ravens twice. Um, yeah, they went one and one with the Steelers, but when you look at the Chiefs, you know I expect them to be a team that's going to be at least an AFC championship contention. Um, the Bills, it's kind of a tough read on them just because you don't know what type of year you're going to get from Josh Allen. Now, if he has the MVP type season that some people are predicting, then of course there's, that's going to be another team. I, I believe the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Browns are the top three teams when you look at who's going to come out of the AFC for the playoffs next year. But the Browns have to really take that next step of really, I mean, just to keep it in layman's terms, is asserting their dominance on the Baltimore Ravens just because for so long we've seen the flip side of where the it's really just been the Ravens and the Steelers bullying on the Browns consistently. Now, yes, last year there were two games where the Browns were able to beat the Steelers and week seven, week 17, you kind of give it a mulligan because obviously they didn't play their full team. And then the wild card matchup was, you know, a relatively unknown. And obviously they got up really quickly and it was a consistent uphill battle from there. But, you know, when you have both teams at full strength, you need to see the Browns come in, win games. And then also the same way how the Ravens and Steelers have blown out the Browns, be able to get a blowout and really show to the rest of the AFC that you're a team that can compete for a Super Bowl against a top tier competition, not only in your division, but show that you can step up on the defense when necessary now that you have all these pieces in John Johnson, Troy Hill, and Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the, the the defense in general is designed to play with a lead. Um, they have an offense that can generate points. And if the Browns can get a double-digit lead, they can they have a number of pass rushers. Hopefully they're going to get more in the draft, and they can keep sending them. And they now they've invested in their defensive backfield and the secondary uh, to, to be able to cover, uh, you know, when they get down. And they couldn't do that last year. Too many games where they they would go up big early, uh, like the Dallas Cowboys, the Tennessee Titans, and, and some of those uh, some of those teams, and then they'd sort of let them back in. Uh, this defense is going to be far more suited to sort of take people out and keep them out in the way that the Ravens have been very good at uh, the last few years. Again, their secondary is great for that, and they have the ability to blitz. So when got, teams get down, they stay down and they don't come back. Uh, which is a really difficult thing uh, for the Browns to do. And it's been sort of like, you know, was, in some ways it was sort of a running joke, uh, especially in the playoff game with the Steelers, where it was like, you know, they were up 28, but zero or 35, zero after a quarter. And, you know, you had to seriously be like, they can't stop scoring because you just don't have the ability to, to do that with this team. It's way too much time 
that you could let somebody in. And, and, you know, as, as long as these guys stay healthy and play to just, you know, even average relative to their talents, that's not going to happen. They're going to be able to sort of, you know, get a, get a pick, you know, cause turnovers, you know, basically just take the will out of those teams, stomp on their neck and move on to the next week. So particularly in the division, you know, I would be pretty disappointed if they do anything worse than four and two, just the outset. And it should probably be more like five and one. Uh, You know, that's the big thing is like the Browns out of division schedule is, is more challenging. They're not playing the AFC South or the NFC East, which were both horrendous last year and they swept them all, but they're, divisional schedule should be easier because the Steelers are taking a massive step back. The Ravens may be taking a step back. The Bengals have have probably gotten better, but not better enough. And the Browns have gotten better. So if they, if those things just work out, then that's really where the Browns should be racking up wins. Last year, they were three and three in the division and they won 11 games in the regular season. So that becomes an opportunity for them to really, you know, assert themselves. Yeah, so looking at the future for the Baltimore Ravens, um, there are some key free agents that kind of stuck out to me a little bit. You've already kind of talked about Orlando Brown Jr. He's on the last year of his rookie deal. Um, he has a cap hit of $3.6 million this year. And then they have some key players that are scheduled to become uh, free agents next year. You look at running back Gus Edwards, uh, tight end Mark Andrews, who's only getting paid $3.5 million this year. Uh, Calais Campbell, who has a cap hit of $13 million. Brandon Williams, who has a cap hit of just under uh, $13 million at 12.9, And then also Jimmy Smith. Uh, those are some key contributors, uh, namely on that defense and, uh, and along the offense as well uh, for them. Do you think, you know, if they lose out on any of these players, um, it could change the trajectory of where this team is going. I mean, for me, namely, I feel like the biggest two are really Mark Andrews and Orlando Brown, just because it's hard to find an offensive tackle. Um, one in the draft because some players just don't come in, you know, NFL ready because of the spread offenses that a lot of college teams are running. You know, they don't run a lot of pro style offenses, so it takes a little bit of time for them to develop. You know, if obviously if you're not drafting, you know, within the top 15, I would say of the draft, obviously the Browns got uh, very lucky of being able to draft Jedrick Wills in a great offensive tackle draft class, basically in that top 12 uh, last year. And then also Mark Andrews, who I think is Lamar Jackson's best target whenever he's throwing him the ball. Well, you know, whenever they if and when they extend Lamar Jackson, I assume uh, Andrews will have an extension announced either the same day or basically the next day, because I don't think you can separate the two. Uh, they, they're critical to what they're doing in offense. That's the life. He's the life player passing game right now. Um, you know, Clayus Campbell is, you know, 35 or so years old and he's been great in his thirties. Like he's his thirties have been better than his twenties. Nevertheless, I I don't suspect that after this year, he's going to be back uh, on on the team. So that'll help them a little bit and they'll have to replace him. Um, Gus Gus Edwards probably not going to cost anything to keep. So that'll be interesting on that front. And then, you know, Zeus Jr. would be a big loss for them, but the way they sort of, play their offensive line. I don't know that it's, I, I'm not going to say it's easy to replace because it's not, it's never easy to replace uh, to, to find super talented 300 pounders uh, or in his case, more like three and three and a half spins. Um, but just because they don't ask their guys to do a ton in terms of like moving, although I saw a weird amount of pulling from Orlando Brown, which is a scene on its own. Uh, but uh, getting getting sort of that real stout point of attack guy and sort of forcing opponents to go around, which allows Lamar Jackson to step up and run, sort of works out. So it may not be, you know, too huge an issue for them to sort of find another guy who can do that. We'll see. I mean, it's easier said than done. But I mean, like, let's say they trade him, you know, at some point to like the Chiefs, because that's a team that stands out that could could obviously use him. 
um, and a team that has a pick that would make sense. So like they, they gave up like the 31st pick in the draft for Orlando Brown Jr. The Ravens may just use that pick, you know, to get that offensive tackle there, uh, you know, and, and I, I assume uh, we'll take a DB with uh, the other pick. I, I assume if he's on the board, they, they're going to take uh, uh, Trevon Morig, uh or maybe even Javon Holland as a surprise pick because he's got an Ed Reedish quality to him. But I think they're going to, you know, sort of firm up their defense. Obviously, the Earl Thomas thing is a massive problem uh, that just cuts so deep on 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 what they have lost, uh, you know, the, the past year and then upcoming, as you mentioned, with their dead money, that they can sort of repair that. Uh, get another safety for the long term. I think that position is just super, super important to them, and then sort of reload that. and And I think they'll find guys in those mid rounds, guys that can sort of rush uh, the passer. I, I'm just waiting to, for them to get Milton Williams out of Louisiana Tech. That just seems like the ultimate Ravens type pick, and he's going to be a really nice player. Uh, and and they'll figure out a way to sort of reload. You know, they've never really had. You know, not Yannick Ngakwe was obviously a big name pass rusher, but they haven't really, you know, Matthew Judon, even for, for when he was on the franchise tag, was never really sort of regarded as like this, you know, top line pass rusher. They, they just have a way of making it work without him. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, it's like I said, it's going to be a challenge for them to get that immediate impact that they're going to need for these, the, these players to be able to help them compete now uh, if they're going to, you know, actually be able to not only get to the playoffs, but then do some damage in it. Yeah. So when you look at their draft needs for the draft coming up, you look at safety, you already named someone like Trevon Moreg out of TCU. Uh, you have wide receiver, linebacker slash edge. You know, they've already, I would say for the most part, addressed their off ball linebacker group with uh, Patrick Queen. Of course, they have Malik Harrison who didn't play a lot last year, but that's someone that most likely is going to, you know, step up um, in terms of that position. They did re-sign LJ Fort, and then they have Chris Board as well, who's a restricted free agent, so it's likely that he's going to come back. And then you look at defensive end, cornerback, and offensive tackle. So in a situation that, you know, depending on how they handle the whole Orlando Brown situation, yes, he's requesting a trade, but, you know, what if it's a situation where it's more based off of maybe he doesn't see the money that he he wants to get or that he believes he can get in the free agent market, then that could potentially slide up, you know, offensive tackle and what they could do at 27. Um, you have receiver as well. Um, I personally don't think their receiver group is the best um, based off what they have. You know, you haven't really seen a lot of out of I believe his name's James Roche or Chris Roche. Um, uh, Devin Duvernay have, hasn't necessarily done a lot either. So, you know, they could be in the running for like a Rashad Bateman. I've seen Kadarius Tony being mocked to them. Um, for me, safety, I think it's probably going to be highest on their board for what they do in the first round. But in the situation that, you know, one of these receivers falls, who do you think would be the receiver that best suits what they need? in that offense. I think, I think they may be interested in a guy like Terrace Marshall out of LSU is that sort of that big target. If they want a receiver, um, he, he's obviously a guy who has a really, he's put together a really nice profile um, over the course of the draft process. I think he's really sort of allowed himself to shine in that regard. If they want sort of that bigger target to, you know, to make it more difficult to miss or however you want to sort of look at that, um, you know, that would make sense. You know, I, I don't rule out the possibility that, you know, they, they, they take an offensive guard uh, with that pick. Um, they could be a team that looks at like Ben Cleveland, uh, who's just a massive human being out of Georgia and, and who just fits what they want to do. Earth mover, maybe move a guy like Bradley Bozeman to center. Uh, the other option would be taking a guy, guy like Creed Humphrey, the center out of Oklahoma, uh, to sort of help upgrade that position. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see if they don't do something like make an aggressive play for one of these tight ends. Obviously they're not going to get a guy like Kyle 
Kyle Fitz, but do they either sit tight and take a guy like Fryermouth from uh, from Penn State uh, and try to just keep doing that? I mean, I think in some ways they took a step back by trying to be more receiver centric this past year, as opposed to staying with what, what they had with tight ends. Um, and they obviously lost a great deal when Boyle went, Nick Boyle went down with an injury partway through the season. So they may continue to look to build through that and, and sort of continue to build that, give them uh, Lamar Jackson more big targets and the ability to sort of block and do some, some uh, play action passing. So, you know, that's, uh, that's where I'm sort of interested. Do they, do they sort of try to recreate what they had with Marshall Yonda and and try to really bully people again, Uh, getting a a massive offensive lineman to help them with the ball? Do they get a tight end? Because that's sort of what they are. And, you know, tight ends are always a good investment in general, or do you know, I, I, again, I think safety makes a ton of sense. It's just, it's such a critical part of what they want to do. They want to be able to cover. They want to be able to blitz with as much as they can. Trevon Morig has a ton of ability and coverage. A guy like Javon Holland is sort of a sleeper pick for, for me, for them, whether that's the first round or not, because he's a guy who creates turnovers and can cover. Uh, so, th- you know, this is the thing is like, this is sort of what makes the Ravens dangerous. Yes, they do have needs. Uh, yes, they do have issues that they have to address but they also have some flexibility in how they want to attack those things that can sort of revamp them in a hurry. And, and if they take, you know, somebody like a, a Morig or Ben Cleveland or one of these guys and people are like, Oh, you know, they're sort of back to being who they are, that that makes them a more dangerous team for the Browns. And then just in general. I agree that them addressing the interior to offensive line uh, could be something that could be done in the first round or potentially the early second, say if they trade back, um, you know, they did lose Matt Skewer to Miami in the offseason. So Patrick McCarry is now their starting center as of now. But you also can find ways of improving that interior of the offensive line, which gives you the ability to find success in one and running the ball when you have bigger guys up front. But also limiting that interior pressure uh, for Lamar Jackson can definitely help in terms of his ability to find throwing lanes and to really stand in the pocket and throw the ball. In terms of the them being like a sleeper in terms of drafting a tight end, I do like that suggestion as well because they were one of the few teams in the NFL that liked to utilize 13 personnel with three tight ends on the field. And that was something that they could do with success because they had Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle, and Mac, Max Williams as three different tight ends that all provided something different. Um you know, Nick Boyle's under contract for the next four four years. So obviously he's going to be around. And you uh, really look at what they've had at tight end, you know, over the years, pretty much this past decade, you know, they've been able to always get production out of that group and find ways to attack the seams through defenses. So I, I definitely do believe tight end could be something that they could approach because tight ends has always been that position group that Lamar Jackson has found the most success with when targeting. Because a lot of times when you look at these defenses, it's either a situation where it's a more mobile tight end getting uh, guarded by a slower linebacker or by a smaller defensive back. So you really take advantage of that mismatch of either utilizing crossing routes in the intermediate parts of the field to run away from linebackers or to attack the scene vertically. And then you have situations where if someone decides to run a nickel or dime package where you could really just allow tight ends to box out and really just jump over smaller defensive backs. And, you know, if they have three tight ends, there's nothing wrong with having too much of a good, of a good thing. Um, I don't, I don't believe that, 11 personnel with three receivers on the field is their is their best option on offense just because one again the receiver court isn't the greatest it lacks a lot of size and you don't get the same advantages that you do in the run game when you have three tight ends in these heavy formations um in terms of you know if you want to give Lamar Jackson more protection 
if you want to take shots down the field utilizing play action um, versus if you have three receivers, you really just have to hope that one of them can get open and get some separation so Lamar Jackson can get the ball out of his hands versus if you want to keep one of those tight ends to block, you can do that or you can send all three out and really try to find uh, mismatches and an advantage against the defense. Well, it's look, I mean, if the Browns are, are in, in many ways going smaller and faster, the, the way to counter that is to go bigger and stronger. Now, the problem with 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 that theory is that that's what getting a Jadevian Clowney sort of protects the Browns from doing is that they aren't getting too small and that they have a really stout run defender. But if you're just saying like, we don't love this matchup where let's say the Browns draft a really nice corner uh, or two in, in the draft that the Ravens are looking at this and going, why are we trying to play to their strengths? We should sort of change the game and force them to play more linebackers. Maybe they're not going to be as comfortable in that setup, but this is now our strength. So yeah, the Browns defense is malleable in terms of being able to match up, but at the same time, that doesn't change the fact that they are probably not going to be thrilled with the idea of playing three linebackers on the field or, you know, just having to play bigger. Well, the Ravens may be sitting there thinking that's perfect for them. So if they get a guy like, you know, Friar Moth or however you pronounce his name, uh, along with Nick Boyle and uh, Mark Andrews, and you have all this size, and you have Gus Edwards, and you have, uh, you know, uh, speed threats uh, that they have and, Mar- you know, and Marquise Brown and, and some of these other players that that becomes the most difficult matchup for the Browns. I mean, the, that's the thing. The Browns are, are going to be a good team, but that doesn't make the, you know, the, the Ravens less able to sort of make them as uncomfortable as possible. And that may be their best way forward. So before we wrap it up, um, two questions. First question, pick number 27. Who do you think they take? If you had to just pick one person, I'll say Trevon Morig. Okay, um, and and I've seen that's the the player that you've mocked to them the most. And then second question, obviously it's a lot more difficult to answer these questions since we're at a seventeen game season instead of sixteen. Under over nine wins. Uh, I'll say over. I think they'll get to like you know. 10 and seven. God, the, the, those things are ugly and weird, but yeah, I think somewhere like um, 10 and seven is it, it, getting into the playoffs, but not being sort of one of the better teams. Do you think there's anything that they could potentially do in order to separate themselves in terms of being a wild card team versus potentially winning the division? Obviously we don't want that to happen, but you know, that's what they're aiming to do. No, I mean, look, the, the 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 whole thing comes down to how good is Lamar Jackson going to be in year four? Did he have this past year, even though the, the Ravens went to the playoffs and Lamar Jackson had a, a pretty successful season, but this is the first year he's really been criticized, um, you, you know, in terms of how good he can be. Um, does he have essentially the comeback type of year that Baker Mayfield have to, had after 2018? Does he now come back like more – determined in this offseason is he working to to really hone those skills and, and try to make that leap forward because if he does they're dangerous they just are and that's that's a really big uh volatility element with them but that's sort of the deal okay so looking at the baltimore ravens and their draft selections for the 2021 nfl draft in round one they do have the 27th overall pick right after the browns round two number 58 in the third round, originally they don't have a third round pick after trading that for Yannick Ngakwe to Minnesota. Obviously, he now, um, uh, excuse me, sorry, um, not Minnesota. He he was traded. Oh, yes, sorry, to the Minnesota Vikings for Yannick Ngakwe. Um, they received a compensatory compensatory pick for David Culley being hired as the head coach for the Houston Texans. So the NFL does have a situation where they want teams to build up other coaches and assistants. So in situations that assistant coaches are hired to um, bigger positions on other franchises, you can get compensatory picks for that. Uh, then in round four, they have a pick, two picks in round five, and one pick in round six. So they're obviously a team that 
doesn't necessarily have the flexibility to go say like a best player available approach like the Browns have, but they're the team that understands these are the areas that we have needs in and they're probably going to draft based off those needs and to get a little bit more depth. But as Pete has noted uh, early in the show, there are positions that they could um, improve on in order to really help Lamar Jackson and get a little bit more production out of these teams in order for them to make another run, um, you know, in the playoffs and in order to get to the playoffs. So we want to thank you guys again for joining us for another episode of the Browns Digest podcast. The podcast is available on all your favorite audio streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. The show's available every Friday on the Browns Digest Sports Illustrated website as well. Fridays at noon. Make sure you guys give us a follow on Twitter. It's available in the show image and we see you guys next week.